Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Colossians chapter number 3. And uh, we're going to read our text here. It's going to go through uh, verse number 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. As we move here into uh, chapter 3, Paul is still talking about the importance of learning how to have victory over the flesh. And if you can remember, Paul really dealt with these false teachers uh, here in the book of Colossians because they were promoting this idea that uh, the only way that you could have victory over the flesh is through asceticism. In other words, denying of the flesh and having this rules-based approach to God, an ABCD approach to God. Uh, he called it the elemental uh, spirits or the elemental principles of, of approach to God. And uh, here, Paul is going to talk about the fact that in order for us to have this victory over the flesh, in order for us to live the Christian life in victory and how we can live the the Christian life in victory, he says it involves this idea of that if you have been raised with Christ. Now, we we talked uh, quite extensively about that corresponding truth previously before that. If you have died with Christ... And uh, if you did not get a chance to listen to that, uh, there was a couple messages that we talked about that. But uh, Paul here is trying to help us understand that in order for us to have victory in the Christian life, and in order for us to live the Christian life that we are called to live, then we have to live the way that God says that we are. And that is the fact that we have been raised with Christ. And then he goes on later to give us some, seems like, very impractical uh, advice. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Have you ever met anybody who is so heavenly minded that they were of no earthly good? Paul here actually tells us, and he's saying, to be of more good on earth, you need to be more heavenly minded. Because he says, set your mind on things that are above. Now to understand our text, we need to view it in the context of what he says here. And in the previous context, remember he's talking about that rules-based approach, that asceticism, denying of the flesh. He says it, it, it appears wise, it has the appearance of wisdom, but it does no good in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And uh, in our, the verses following immediately here in our text here this morning in verses uh, 5 through 9, he tells us to put to death the members of our body with regard to a, a list of sins that are characterized our old way of life. 
And he then, in verses 12 through 17, talks about the qualities that those who have been chosen by God should practice. He applies these qualities to how Christian wives and husbands are supposed to treat one another, how children and parents are supposed to treat one another, how those relationships are supposed to work, and then even on how the workers and bosses should uh, treat one another. And uh, he goes through that in verses 18 all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. And then finally, he exhorts the church to prayer and wise witness in Colossians 4, 2 through verse number 6. Before concluding this long, lengthy uh, letter here with a personal section in uh, Colossians 4, uh, 7 through 18. So our text here this morning about if then you have been raised with Christ is really the key to understanding how to live the Christian life, but also how to live and have a harmonious Christian home with our wives and husbands and children, and even how to have the right type of relationships in the workplace, out in the world, and how to have the right type of relationships within the church. So if you miss this, you miss what it means how to live the Christian life. And so the key here is if then you have been raised with Christ. And so he's trying to help us understand our identity, our position with Christ, that we have been raised, that we have been resurrected with Christ. And so positionally, we have been resurrected with Christ. And if we are going to live a life of godliness, where we say no to the flesh and live in such a way that reflects the true identity in Christ, then we need to live the way God's Word tells us to live. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. If I have been raised with Christ, then I need to live that way. If I have been raised with Christ, then I need to live that way. In other words, what's true about me positionally, I need to live out practically. How do we do that? Well, Paul is going to help us apply practically what's true about us positionally. So let's look here, first of all, number one. Remind yourself daily of your position in Christ. Now, if I'm going to live out what's true about my position in Christ, then I need to remind myself daily of that truth. Have you ever wondered why Paul often repeats himself of truths just like this? He often repeats, if you go through all of his letters, you find these truths repeating, 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 repeating. It's not because Paul was like forgetful and he's like, ah, I think I wrote something about that. Well, I can't really remember, so I'm just going to go ahead and write it again. No, the reason why Paul often repeated himself about these truths is because these are things that we often forget. Why does Paul continually and almost always talk about the gospel? Well, it's because it's something that we forget. And so this is a truth that Paul repeats himself, and he says, if you have been raised with Christ, then this is how you are to live. Notice that in these verses, they're very Christ-centered. Four times in these four verses, Paul mentions Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears... So he wants us to get our identity grounded in Christ, that we are in Christ positionally. If we have repented of our sin and we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are positionally in Christ. 
And that's something that he tries to often remind us about. So I want to show you two things that we should be reminding ourselves about our identity in him. Number one, we died with Christ. Now, as I said, we dealt pretty extensively with this truth a couple weeks ago, but I think it's important that Paul actually repeats that truth. Again, in our text in verse number three, he says, For you have died. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ. Um, in Colossians 2.12, Paul states that we were buried with Christ in baptism. In verse 20, he says that we died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Um, and now again here in Colossians 3.3, he explains, for you have died. So he wants us to understand that when we trusted in Jesus Christ, we became identified with him in his death. And so if you want to further study this out, uh, Romans 6, 3, 11, uh, chapter 6, verses 3 through 11, chapter 7, verse number 4, and uh, verse number 6, and then also uh, Galatians uh, 2, 19 through 20, and also Galatians 6, 14, really talk about this, about the details about that. Now, the problem with this truth is I don't feel dead towards sin, right? We don't have this, we, don't, we say, well, I don't feel dead to sin. Uh, and the, the thing that we have to remember is that uh, it, it's more about our position in Christ, right? It's, it's not about the feelings of that. What's true about us is what God says, not what we feel. And so God says, you have died to sin. You have died with Christ. And so if that's what he said, then that is what is true. And uh, oftentimes I think there's still a strong inner desire to indulge in sin, and how can we help overcome that if that's the case? Well, it seems to me that the answer is to remember that death in the Bible never means cessation. It means separation. When people die, they are separated from this world. Uh, growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the sites that was often seen was you drive by some people's houses and they would have multiple cars sitting in their front lawn and they were up on blocks. I don't know what the, the attraction of that was. I have no idea. But, you know, you could get in that vehicle, and you could start it, and you could push your foot down on the gas pedal, and those wheels would just go, you know, they'd spin, but you're not going anywhere. Well, that's kind of the same thing, that uh, when we died in Christ, we were separated, right, from sin. We've been separated uh, we've, we've died to sin. And uh, even though the, the flesh may rev and say, all right, I want to do this, right? You got to remember, I have, I have died to Christ. I have died with him. I, my old flesh has been crucified. And so therefore, it no longer has power. The only power that uh, it has is what you give it. And uh, so we got to remember that we have died uh, to sin. Uh, Romans 6.11, Paul stated, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's not a matter of feeling dead to sin, but rather a legal fact. And if we're joined to Christ by faith, we're one with him in his death. We're divorced from the old life, which was a tyrant keeping us in sin. Now we're married to a new husband, which is Christ, and he gives us new life and freedom from sin. Now, the flip side is this. Number two, we have been raised up with Christ 
to the right hand of God. Now, Paul mentions this in uh, Colossians 2, 12 through 13, actually. He says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now again here, Colossians 3.1. Look at this verse again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That word if there, remember, it doesn't imply like uncertainty, like, well, I, I, I don't know if I am or I, I don't know, right? He's saying, no, this is true. And because this is true, I want you to consider the implications of what that means. The statement that you have been raised with Christ. What does that mean? Well, Paul goes on to tell us here. He says that we've been united with Christ in his death. Being raised up with him is not a matter of this feeling. But he says it's a legal fact. It's true. When Jesus was raised from the dead... And if by faith we're in him, we also were raised. So being raised up with Christ teaches us that salvation is really not a matter of human decision or willpower, but rather of God's mighty power imparting life to us when we were dead in our sins. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us all about that. He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Who gave you life? Did you? Nope. God resurrected life into you. He raised you up from the dead. And so he says that he has raised, you have been raised with Christ. And it means that we are so united with Christ that he is our life. That's what Colossians 3, 4 says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just as the branch draws its, its life and its power from the vine, right? That's uh, John chapter 15. So we as believers who are in Christ, we draw our life and our power from whom? From Christ, who is the vine. We are the branches. So we must live in dependence upon the supernatural power of the risen Christ, not in human strength, uh, with just a little help from God, you know, tacked on now and then, right? No. It's the fact that we depend totally upon Jesus and the, the life that he gives. And so being raised up with Christ also means that all that is true of Christ is now true of us. Because look what he says. We are in Christ, right? We are in Christ. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are in Christ. It's kind of like this. Take an envelope here. Let's just say this envelope is Christ, okay? I take this piece of paper. This is you. This is your life. When you believed in Christ, what happened? You were placed in Christ. And so God has placed you in Christ. And he sealed it. That's what Ephesians says, right? You were sealed by the Holy Spirit, so you are in Christ. Wherever this envelope goes, what happens to that piece of paper? Where's the paper at? It's in Christ, right? So if I take this piece of paper and I stick it, to take this envelope and I stick it in my Bible, where's the paper? It's in the envelope, right? 
hasn't gone anywhere, right? It's still there, right? If I take this envelope and I drop it on the floor, where's the piece of paper? It's in the envelope. It didn't go anywhere. It's still there, right? If I take this envelope and I take it home with me, where's the paper? It's in the envelope. Wherever this envelope goes, what happens to the piece of paper? It goes with it. It stays with it, okay? We are in Christ. And Paul's trying to help us understand something that is a legal fact, true. You may say, but I don't feel like I'm in Christ. Well, he doesn't say you have to feel like you're in Christ. He says, I want you to live this out. This is a true statement that you are in Christ. Colossians 2, 3 teaches us, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. If in Christ is hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge... How will we get those things? We will have to mine them out. Well, it takes a lifetime really to discover and understand what Scripture teaches us. We are mining out those rich treasures because we are in Christ. And in Christ, we have the surpassing riches of God's grace and kindness towards us. That's Ephesians 2.7. In Christ, we have been made complete so that he is now our all in all. That's Colossians 2.10 and Colossians 3.11. If we're in Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness through his precious and magnificent promises. That's 2 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 4. You ready to have your mind blown? Take a look at that true statement again here Paul makes to us in Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, where is Christ seated? Right hand of God. Now, where are you? Absolutely. You're right there. Now, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you say, but I don't feel like that. Remember, it's not a feeling. It's a truth, an actual, real truth that you have been raised with Christ and you're seated there with him in Christ. Now let's make the connection here. We're talking about our identity in Christ. What's true of Christ is true of us. If Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, where are we positionally? We're seated there in him. Do you believe that? Then why don't we live that way? You see, what's true about us, we have to apply what Scripture says. We actually have to apply it to our life and live that way. Paul is not talking about some high-in-the-sky, pie, make-believe type stuff here. He's not saying, well, if you just kind of really sort of start believing this, you know, you're really going to start lit. No, it's true. So start living that way. You know, uh, all of us that, that have had children or have children right now, we don't have to sit there and, and sit there and, and try to uh, make our kids believe that they're part of our family, right? You know what they do? They get up and they go to the refrigerator, they take whatever they want. They just do it because they're part of the family. They know it's true, and so they're going to live that way. They don't stand outside the door and knock and say, can I come in, please? No. They do those things. 
So you might be thinking, okay, so I'm seated with Christ, heavenly places, so what? What does that mean? How does that help me live a life of godliness? Well, let me try to help you understand what this means. Let's walk through Scripture together. Grab your Bible, underline these truths that are in Scripture here. When you look up all the places in the New Testament that refer to Christ being seated at the right hand of God, they generally fall into three categories. First, it refers to Christ's supreme power. Turn over to Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse number 20 through 21. So over there in Colossians, just back a couple books, you find Philippians, then you come over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse number 20 through 21. Paul writes here, What is the surpassing greatness of his power? Toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, watch this, underline it. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also. In the one to come. You cannot get any greater power than that. Than the fact that God has exalted his son Jesus. Resurrecting him from the dead. And has seated him at the right hand of himself. And what is he doing during that time? He's awaiting the time when his enemies will be made into a footstool for his feet. That's Psalm 110.1, Hebrews 1.13, and also Hebrews 10.13. But he is now seated at the right hand of the power of God. That's what Jesus said in Luke 22.69. And where are we? Seated right there with him. Now make the connection here. Think about this, right? This is true about us. We are there in him, and Paul's application of this is in relation to our battle against sin. That's in Romans 6, 12 through 13. So here we are as believers in Christ. We're seated there with him. How much power does Christ have? All power. Far above every principality, every power, every throne, every dominion. He's above it all. We are in him. So how much power does the flesh have over you? None. Should not have any. Because you are in Christ. Romans 6, 12-13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here's the second one. Being seated at God's right hand refers to Christ's sufficient pardon. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. It's in the uh, New Testament there. If you're over there in Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay, you go to 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. Listen to what Paul states here. It says, and he is the radiance of his glory. Who? Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
when he has made purification of sins, mark it, underline it, here it is, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The fact that Jesus Christ is now sitting at the right hand of the Father means that he obtained complete pardon for all sins. All of them. There's not one that he didn't pay for. He paid for them all. Now you're here in Hebrews, flip over just a few chapters, Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 11. <clears throat> what he says here. But he... Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, mark it, what does it say? Sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all those who are sanctified. Now where are you? In Christ, where are you? You're seated with him, right? You're in Christ. Remember? Wherever this is going, you're going with it, right? You're in Christ. You're seated there with Christ by the Father. And the connection here is that He paid for all of our sins, right? He pardoned all of our iniquities. He pardoned them all. Everything was made complete in Christ. And so if we are in Him at the Father's right hand, we can be assured that He has forgiven all of our sins. All of them. You know, many times I think that our, uh, uh, our enemy likes to come and likes to say, God really doesn't love you. Look how much you have messed up. Look how you call yourself to be faithful. Are you really that faithful? Oh, surely a Christian who, who, who says, a person who says they're a Christian wouldn't do the things that you do. I don't think you have had your sins forgiven. Where are you in Christ, folks? You're seated there with him, where he has pardoned all of your sins, all of them. And so the enemy has no basis now to accuse us as he does in Revelation 12.10. We're accepted in Christ as what Romans 15.7 teaches us. Here's the third thing. The fact that Jesus Christ is now sitting at the right hand of the Father means that we are the object of Christ's sympathetic prayers. Turn over to Romans 8, 33-34. The context here of what Paul is talking is about suffering, about Christians who are going through suffering. And he talks about all this difficulty that, uh, that, that happens. And in verses 33-34 of Romans 8, Paul writes this. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, mark it, here it is, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. When you get discouraged and lose hope, it's encouraging to know that your mother or father or faithful friend is praying for you. Why do you think we have the time here as believers in Christ that we share and we pray for one another? It's encouraging, right? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. How many times has somebody came up to you and said, hey, will you pray for me about... And you say, yes, I will. But then you don't pray for them? I'll put my hand up. I know I'm honest about that, Right? Does Jesus pray for us? Yes, he does. 
And where is Jesus sitting? The right hand of the Father. Where are you at? Right there with him. And here you are, you're pouring your heart out before God, you're discouraged, you feel like you're losing hope. And is Jesus going like this? La, 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 la. No. What is he doing? He's listening. And then he's praying for us. This is our identity in Christ. This is who we are as believers in Jesus. That if you have been raised with Christ, this is true of you. And so when you battle temptation or you wrestle with discouragement, remember that you're in Christ. You shared in His death and resurrection. You're seated with Him at the right hand of God where He has all power. You have all pardon and you have His prayers. Remind yourself daily of that, that you are in Christ, that I have been raised with Christ. Now you may still wonder, well, how does this work? How do we implement it practically? Well, here's the second thing and the last thing. Meditate and live out the truth of your position in Christ. If we're going to apply what's true positionally in our lives and make it practical, then we need to understand three things. Here they are. Number one, our new life is now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does Paul mean by this? Well, I believe it means two things. Number one, I believe this to mean security that we have in Jesus. We have our our, our new life in Christ, and it is secure in Christ. Let me explain why I believe this. Psalm 31, 20 says this. David says to those who take refuge in God, you hide them in the secret place of your, pre- of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Psalm 27, 5, he will surely give me shelter in the day of danger. He will hide me in his home. He will place me on an inaccessible, rocky summit. That's safety. That's security. That's who we are in Jesus. Our life is hidden in God through Christ Jesus. Second, I believe this to mean that since our life is hidden with Christ and God, then we need to mine out what is true in Scripture and apply those truths to our lives. It needs to be mined out like buried treasure. These truths that God declares about us in Christ may not be uh, immediately obvious. That's why we've got to spend time in Scripture and spend time in the Word and be digging and digging and digging and bringing those truths out to light and applying them to our lives. Because why? Because our life is hidden in God through Christ Jesus. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfected and preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The the Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. They are of greater value than gold, than even a great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, than even the sweetest honey from a honeycomb. Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. In Matthew 13, 44 through 45, Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a person found and hid. Then because of joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. You think about it. When you begin to mine out the riches that are in Christ Jesus, they're far surpassing. There's no value to them whatsoever. I mean, they're, they're just... They're just amazing what, what, what God teaches us through His Word and how he, how he shows His love and compassion and mercy and grace and truth, how He reveals Himself. That, that you cannot put a value on that. And Jesus says it's like a man that was going through a field and as he was walking there, he's probably kicking over the dirt. And he... That's gold. Uh, how much for your uh, dusty old field here? Uh, you know, I'd really like to buy it, maybe. The price is right, right? <laughs> Goes and sells all that he can because he knows that there's gold in that field and he's going to mine it out. Here's the second thing. We seek the things above by making them the continual pursuit of our thinking. We meditate on these truths. So if I'm going to live out this position in Christ, how is that going to help? I have to meditate on that, and I have to pursue them in my thinking. There are two commands in our text. Do you see them? Seek the things above and set your mind on things above. What's interesting about these commands is that both of these statements are in the present imperatives. Say, what do you mean by that? Meaning that they are of a continual process. Keep seeking. Keep Setting your minds on things that are above. Keep going at it. Never stop. So what does that mean to seek the things that are above? Well, to keep seeking these things means to make the truths of Christ as revealed in God's word our constant pursuit, our focus, our aim. Let me ask you a question. Do you pursue after truth? If not, you're not putting your mind on things above. You're not setting your minds on things that are above. Are you pursuing after truth? If you're not seeking after truth, then don't expect to live the way that God says that we need to live. Because if you're not seeking after truth, you're not going to be thinking truthfully, and you're definitely not going to be living truthfully. So you have to keep seeking. You have to keep setting your mind on things that are above. Just as worldly people get up early, focus day after day on pursuing material things, so Christians should be devoted to pursuing the things of Christ. Now, this does not mean that we should drop out of life, spend all our time meditating on spiritual truth. The Lord expects us to work, live in this world. But it does mean, as Jesus put it, that instead of working for the food which perishes, we should work for the food which endures to eternal life. That's John chapter 6, 27. We should seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. That's Matthew 6, 33. We should begin each day by thinking about God's perspective in life. We're separate from this evil world. We're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. We think about Christ as our life who lives in us and through us. Throughout the day, we keep bringing our thoughts back again and again to those things which are true, which God says are true, and we pursue truth and we live in that truth. We are setting our minds on Christ. We're setting our minds on truth. Notice the second command, to set your mind on things above. What does that mean? What well, shows this continual pursuit of the things above involves our thinking. The word mind here 
means to have your whole attitude characterized by those things. Have your whole attitude characterized by those things which are above. Is your attitude, is my attitude characterized by those things which are above? If not, we are not setting our minds on the things that are above. The present tense here implies that we must make repeated choices to focus our thoughts not on the flesh but on the things which are true of us in Christ so that our whole outlook is determined by these truths. We will view ourselves not as citizens of this world, but as having died and now being raised up with Christ, so completely identified with Him that He is our very life. The truest thing, mark it down, the truest thing about you is what God says is true, not what you feel. The truest thing about you is what God says is true, not what you feel. We've got a lot of problems today in our world with people who feel all kinds of sorts of things. What does God's word say? This is true. This is right. Folks, we've got to live that way. We've got to live in the truthfulness of God's word, not what we feel. And how you think about yourself really determines how you act. Your thought life also determines to a large extent your emotions. So if you want to live the way that Christ says what is true about you, then think the way, the way that God says things are, and you will begin living those truths out. And here Paul is saying that we must constantly, by deliberate choice, focus our thoughts on the risen Christ and on the truth that we are totally identified with Him. If then you have been raised with Christ, consider the implications of what that means. In Christ, we've been separated from this evil world. We've been separated from our old nature, which seeks to pull us back into sin. And now we should repeatedly think, I am now in Christ as that truth shapes your identity. It becomes the key to a holy life. That's how you have victory over the flesh. That's how you have the type of right relationships in the home, in our business dealings, in the church, right? If then you have been raised with Christ. One final thought, number three, the motivation for seeking the things above is that when Christ is revealed, we also will be revealed with him in glory. Check out verse number four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Where are we right now positionally? And so when Christ appears, where are we going to be? We're going to be with him. It's going to be true. When Christ, who right now is our life, returns, we will discover the full truth about ourselves in him. We will be revealed with him in glory. Then we will know fully, just as we have been fully known, as what uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says. Listen to what 1 John 3, 2 through 3 says. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him 
purifies himself just as he is pure. And so knowing that one day we will be revealed with Christ in glory should motivate us to live a godly life, to be purifying ourselves because he will return. And when he returns, we will be revealed with him in glory. And so seeing ourselves in Christ is the key to living a life of godliness and not giving in to our sinful desires. So have you died with Christ? Is this true about you? Have you been resurrected with Christ? Is that true? How do you know? Are you as a Christian, are you living in those truth statements that I have died with Christ and I have been resurrected with Christ? Are you living that out? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.